0: able to be with you, to uh, have our congregation and your convention being able to worship our God together. You should have a bulletin that has our hymns and scripture readings in it. Uh, One announcement that didn't make it into the bulletin is uh, our violinist, Joya Otto, is accompanying our music this morning. Let's spend a moment in silent prayer, in meditation, as we prepare to enter the presence of the King of Kings. Stand together as the people of God as we enter his presence and worship him. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. People of the Lord Jesus Christ, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit. Father in heaven, we thank you for calling us together this morning. We thank you for your majesty and glory revealed in your creation. We thank you for your love to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, for his suffering and death in our place, for his glorious resurrection. Lord, we come before you this morning confessing our sins, but rejoicing that rather than standing before you condemned, we are righteous because of the work of the Lord Jesus. Bless our worship this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing choirs of New Jerusalem.
1: now to confess our faith together. We'll use the Nicene Creed, which is found on page four in your bulletin. If we confess our common faith as Christians, I ask you, what do you believe? We believe in one God, God Father, Father Almighty, Almighty maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of Light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us unconscious power. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with the Lord to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped
0: and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic Church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let's continue to confess our faith in our God with God is our refuge and our strength. There are several prayer requests on the small insert in your bulletin between pages 10 and 11. I'll just mention those. Uh, You can look at those. I won't take time to read them. And following our congregational prayer, I'll ask you to respond with the Lord's Prayer, which is on page 6 in your bulletin. Let's turn to our God in prayer. Father in heaven, we rejoice that we can come before you this day. We come acknowledging your majesty and your glory. You are the God whom Isaiah saw high and lifted up in the temple. The God before whom the cherubim covered their faces and cried, holy, 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 Lord God almighty. And with your servant Isaiah, we respond, I am a man of unclean lips and live among among a people of unclean lips. But Lord, we thank you that you have not left us to perish in our sin and misery. You have sent your only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word become flesh, to live among us, to walk the paths of Galilee, the streets of Jerusalem, and above all, to walk the road that led to the cross, there to offer his life in our place. We thank you for his life, for his death, but also for his glorious resurrection and ascension. And we confess with the Apostle Paul that in him all things hold together. Lord, give us, we pray, a great sense of your majesty, your glory, your wonderful work of redeeming and renewing your creation. We ask, Lord, that you will be with your people, with all of us gathered in this room today. We pray particularly for Maureen as she awaits diagnosis of a possible heart problem, give wisdom to her physicians, to her family. We pray for Wayne, asking that the therapy that he's receiving will be used by you to cause his illness to go into remission. We pray, Lord, for your blessing upon this conference as it continues for wisdom and grace in the sessions, for a greater understanding of the wonder of your creation and of how your people can serve you in watching over it, in subduing it, in using it to your glory. And Lord, we would uphold in prayer before you this day Charlie and Pam Adams, who were injured so severely in an auto accident last winter. Lord, as they continue to deal with the effects of that accident, as Charlie returns home, we pray that you will provide the care that's needed. Lord, as these, your servants, deal with the limitations that they face at this time because of the accident, uphold them and strengthen them, and may they be encouraged by the prayers and the concern of your people. We ask, Lord, for your blessing upon your church throughout the world. We thank you that as we meet today, we are simply a small part of a vast host that has been and will continue to call upon your name, people from many different nations using many different languages. But together we stand in the new Jerusalem, in the very presence of the living God. Lord, as we meet today in freedom, we ask for your blessing upon brothers and sisters who are being persecuted for the cause of Christ. For some who dare not assemble in public, but rather who are meeting in small groups in countries in Africa, in the Middle East, in the Far East, and elsewhere, Lord, strengthen your saints, keep them faithful. And may they be assured that your church has not forgotten them, but continues to uphold them in their prayers. We ask, Lord, now that you will bless the nations in which we live, give wisdom and grace to our leaders, uphold them in decisions that they make, and we ask that your people may be able to live quiet and peaceful lives to your glory. Bless us now as we continue to call upon your name for Jesus' sake. Amen. continue to worship God as we bring our offerings to him, this particular offering going for a work of mercy in the South Karamoja. Let's worship God with our offerings.
1: Might help if I had that on. Okay. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you for your many blessings. We thank you for providing for us in so many ways. And teach us, Father, to be truly grateful. Thank you for these gifts. We pray that you would use them, you would bless them, that your word may go out, that lives would be changed, that souls would be saved. Father, glorify yourself. We pray through this. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture readings this morning are first from the Old Testament, Micah chapter six. <clears throat> and <clears throat> excuse me, and then in the, in the New Testament, we'll be turning uh, to 1 John chapter 3. These are printed in your bulletin, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. This is the Word of God from Micah chapter 6. Hear what the Lord says arise, plead your case before the mountains. And let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring fountain, foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord, and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked, and the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence, your inhabitants speak lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore I strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat, but not be satisfied. There shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, but not preserve, and what you preserve I will give to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. For you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab, and you have walked in their councils, that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing. So you shall bear the scorn of my people. First John chapter three verses eleven through twenty four. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, when the world that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brothers. that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in them. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us.
0: Stand together and sing, Holy, Holy, Holy. seated, please. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, I was delighted when I was asked if our congregation would be willing to worship with you this morning to find out that the theme of your conference was going to be Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It's a rich a wonderful, a powerful text. Now, there's one problem, of course, with having texts. We sometimes take a text and we put it up on a plaque on the on the board, on the wall or someplace. We sometimes get asked that question that I hate being asked. What's your favorite scripture verse? All right, 66 books, one unit... How do you pick one? In fact, I won't tell the story now, but I got asked that question by a U.S. immigration official last month. You can ask me afterwards if you're curious. <laughs> Who says there's separation of church and state? <laughs> Micah 6.8 is a wonderful text. Uh, my wife grew up in a church that had that text as the motto for the Christian girls group uh, that met throughout the denomination. And I'm not a scientist, I haven't been attending your sessions, but as I've looked over your program, it's clear that you've been not simply using that as a text, but you've been taking it and working it into whatever area of God's creation that you're working with. As we focus on that text as the sermon subject this morning, I'd like to first of all see what motivates humility And then together we'll look at growing in, walking humbly before your God. You're humbled as you see what God has done for you. This text occurs in the context of a legal setting, of a courtroom. The Lord has an indictment. He has sent his covenant messenger, the prophet Micah, Micah whose name means who is like Yahweh, He has sent Micah to summon his people back to himself. They've been worshiping other gods. They've been influenced by the culture around them. They've turned from the Lord. And Micah is summoned to call the people back to himself. And you see that courtroom setting in the opening verse of the chapter. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord. It's a courtroom setting with the mountains, with the ancient hills summoned as witnesses as the Lord enters into a judicial dispute. It's not a kind of language that's unique to Micah. You can go back to Deuteronomy 32, the first verse. Psalm 50 uses the same kind of language of summoning the ancient parts of creation as witnesses as the Lord speaks to or better yet speaks against his people. And as Micah describes his courtroom setting, suspense is building. It's a courtroom. The Lord is summoning the parties, the mountains and the hills and the foundations of the earth are there. And it's not until the very end of that that scene in the end of the third verse that you find who the other party is. The Lord is going to court against his own people. Oh, my people, in verse 3, expresses the anguish as the Lord finally results to this judicial remedy. He asks, what more could I have done that I've left undone? And as you look at verse 3, you find that the astounding reason for this court scene is that the Lord has wearied his people. God asks, how have I wearied you? Answer me. Imagine that. Serving the sovereign Lord, serving the creator of the universe, has become bothersome, has become wearying. Outward ceremonies, when they're only empty rituals, are wearying. Micah speaks to God's covenant people but he speaks to people who had lost their sense of awe at being the people of God. Whether you've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ recently, or whether you're one of those who, as far back as you can remember, can't think of a time when you didn't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, whether your time with him is long or short, keep the awe and the joy that... John, the Apostle John, reflects as at the beginning of chapter 3, it's not a 1st John, it's not reproduced in your bulletin. At the beginning of chapter 3, he says, we're children of God, and then he adds, and you can hear the awe in his voice, and that's what we are. The Creator, the Sovereign Lord, has made us His children. You're gathered here today, at an assembly of God's people. Many of you members of an association, an affiliation of scientists who are Christians, you're here because you have a connection to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But 1 John 3.17 warns us that something is drastically wrong with carrying the name of Christ if we close our hearts to those in need. It's a contradiction of what we are in Christ, to refuse to show mercy to those in need. And so John carries on the same flavor as the indictment of Micah. In this courtroom setting, the Lord points to what he's done for his people. And God's spirit summons you to look in humility at the grace that God has shown you. What have I done to you How have I wearied you? And then the Lord in verses 4 and 5 describes his history of caring for his people. The great redemptive event in the history of the Old Testament is the Exodus. And you notice that in verse 4, the Lord says, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. God didn't simply bring his people out of Egypt, rescuing them from slavery and the persecution of Pharaoh, turning them loose in the wilderness and saying, good, I did it, now it's up to you. He's done the whole thing. He brought them out of Egypt. He brought them up into the promised land. Verse 4 talks about the land of Egypt, the land of slavery. And verse 5 takes you all the way to Gilgal, where the people have crossed the Jordan. They're in the promised land, and they've renewed their covenant relationship with the Lord. God sent leaders for them, Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Remember how the Lord turned the attempted judgment and opposition of King Balak, the Moabite king, who realized he couldn't, could not militarily defeat Israel, God turned his hiring Balaam to prophesy a curse against Israel into words of blessing. Step by step, the Lord cared for, redeemed his people, and the righteous acts of the Lord on the journey through the wilderness are all brought into evidence as the Lord tells his people that they've turned against him. If Micah could tell the people of Israel that they had experienced the faithfulness of God, how much more do you and I, as we listen to John the Apostle, John who stands with us on this side of the cross and the empty tomb, how much more do we understand that faithfulness of God? God has delivered you not just from slavery in Egypt. He has sent not just Moses and Aaron, and Miriam, but he sent a prophet greater than Moses. When Israel worshipped the golden calf at Mount Sinai, Moses interceded for them. Moses prayed, Lord, if possible, blot my name out of the book, but forgive your people. Of course, Moses couldn't do that. Moses is a sinner like you and me. But what Moses couldn't do, the Lord Jesus Christ has done. His name was blotted out. He suffered the wrath of God on the cross. He endured death in order to forgive your sins. Your Redeemer has given His life in your place. That's the perfect picture of the faithfulness of God. A faithfulness that motivates humility. And another thing that motivates humility is simply the magnificence of God's creation. The setting in which God has placed us, in which God works our salvation. Those of us who live in Oregon can simply look out of our windows or drive a little way and look and can see the spectacular evidence of God's creative activity. We see Mount Hood. We walk the forest. We stand on the beach and feel the power of the waves breaking on the shore. Some of you who are scientists have helped us open our eyes further. You've given us telescopes so we can look even further into space than David could as he lay under the stars and sang of the glory of the Creator. You've explored the building blocks of creation You help open up the potential that God has built into his creation and into people made in his image. But with that magnificence of God's creation, with the wonder of exploring it, goes the danger of taking God for granted. I live here in Oregon. I see the wonders of God's creation every day. And then I look at statistics that tell me that Oregon is ranked about second or third in the nation in terms of attendance at church of any kind, Bible-believing or otherwise. We worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. And with the insight that God has given to explore and subdue the earth goes the danger of pride, the very opposite of the characteristic to which Micah is pointing you. Walk humbly before your God. Humility is a whole lot easier as a slogan than it is in real life. And yet that's what God is calling you to. Beware of the pride of a do-it-yourself religion. That's what the people of Israel had fallen into in Micah's day. An anonymous representative of the people Speaks in verses 6 and 7. With what should I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? There's a recognition that yes, something is not quite right between us and the Lord. Micah, you may be exaggerating a bit, but you've got a point. We do need to do something to get things straightened out with the Lord. Now, what should I come with? Should I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Well, yearling calves and burnt offerings are not cheap sacrifices. Someone has said that America likes its religion and it likes it cheap. Well, these people are willing to give expensive sacrifices. In fact, things get even more expensive. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? You think of the spectacular scene when Moses, when uh, Solomon dedicated the temple, when thousands of animals were offered as sacrifices. Is that what God requires of us? And then the exaggeration gets even further with 10,000 rivers of oil. Do you see where the response is going? Yes, there may be a problem between God and me. But, you know, God's expectations are really unacceptable, unreasonable. You know, I'm already bringing sacrifices. Does he want more of them? And it culminates finally by borrowing from the ultimate ultimately costly pagan sacrifice? Shall I give the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Should I offer my child as a sacrifice in my place? You and I may not raise the same rhetorical questions that this representative of Israel raises, but the attitude continues to be a danger of seeing the problem in our relationship with God as somehow being God's fault, that God somehow has unreasonable, unreasonable expectations and things would be fine if he just came down to my level a little bit more. Well, uh, Micah points you back to the character of your God. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Micah summons you to really listen to God. The Lord has already shown His people what He requires. The question is raised with, what shall I come before the Lord? And Micah, in a very real sense, is saying, you already know the answer to that question. It's not a legitimate question to raise. You're without excuse. God has not been silent about how to live. As his covenant people. With what should I come before the Lord? Micah answers the question anyway. Sacrifice is important. But sacrifices alone are not the answer. As you read on through the rest of Micah chapter 6. Right after this call to do justice and to love kindness. Micah foretells coming judgment as he goes on describing the way that God's people live. You notice down in the very last verse of the chapter, verse 16, you have kept the statutes of Omri, all the works of the house of Ahab. The people whom Micah was addressing lived in a culture that had been thoroughly infiltrated by the idolatry of wicked kings. And you and I live in a culture that in many ways is antagonistic to God. And those cultural influences seep in more deeply than we realize. When you walk in those ways, Micah says, judgment is certainly coming. But before Micah ends his book, he goes on to describe the pardoning character of his God. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Micah, is a God who forgives your sins God tells you what is good he summons you to live a transformed life before him as those who believe in the death of Jesus Christ in our place as sinners there's sometimes a danger of focusing exclusively on our justification it's a wonderful truth of Scripture God takes me a sinner and declares me righteous because of the perfect work of Christ in my place. My guilt is placed on him. His righteousness is placed on me. That's thoroughly biblical language. But it's not all that there is in our salvation. Sometimes the matter of growth in grace The term that theologians use to describe it is sanctification. The daily walking in obedience to God. That sometimes is downplayed and is looked at. Well, that's simply there as evidence that you have been justified. Well, it does serve as evidence that you've been justified. If you're not justified before God, you're not going to live a sanctified life. But it's not simply there as evidence of justification, as some suggest. It's part of the whole work of salvation. In fact, you can describe it as the purpose of your salvation. God forgives your sins in order to make you a holy people who will live in fellowship with him. Your sanctification is no less important than your justification. The scriptures never compromise the uniqueness of Christ's work in your place. We're justified by grace through faith alone, not a combination of faith and works, and we're thankful for the rediscovery of that at the Reformation. But that doesn't mean that our sanctification is unimportant. And Micah says that God has told you what is good. As you listen to God, He's told you to do justice and love kindness. Justice is not some kind of abstract principle. People sometimes think of justice as being something that's out there and God and we look at that same standard of justice. And yes, of course, God is way up there. He meets it perfectly. And I'm down here and I only meet it very imperfectly. But there's something basically wrong with that picture. Justice isn't there outside of God. Justice reflects the very character of God. Micah is calling you to walk in a way that reflects your God, to understand that justice is what God does and then what He expects His people to do. I can't tell you exactly how doing justice comes to expression in your life. There's so many different ways that that's possible. But certainly, one crucial element is integrity. Whatever your calling is, whether you're a child who's recognizing that August is already here and pretty soon I'm going back to school and I'm going to be learning to read and write, whether you're heading back to college as a student or as a teacher, whether you're managing people in a financial institution, whether you're Calling is parenting full-time. Whether you're programming computers, doing research, whatever you're doing, you're summoned to work with integrity. To go where God's revelation leads you. Be willing to be challenged by God's revelation, both in the scriptures and in creation. And that's something that scientists need to hear. It's also something that theologians need to hear. What I think the Bible teaches my understanding of the teaching of Scripture isn't necessarily synonymous with what Scripture does indeed teach. We need to have the humility to keep going back to God's revelation, to refining what we're doing, and to do it better to His glory. The call to justice certainly includes the personal dimension, personal integrity, but it also encompasses corporate and institutional life. Two months ago today, the paper in a town a hundred miles south of us, the Register Guard, which is not the place I generally turn to for my expression of uh, what I ought to think, it published a story of Barbara Wagner, whose oncologist had prescribed a drug for her cancer that had recurred. Her insurance coverage, the Oregon Health Plan, refused coverage. But they did point her to Palliative care, including, they explicitly pointed out, the option of physician-assisted suicide. We won't treat your disease, but if you want to end your life, we'll help you do it. Well, I'll grant I don't know all the ins and outs of that case, and I recognize that to every complex issue, there's usually a simple answer that's wrong. I don't have all the answers to that, but situations like that are places where God's people are called to do justice personally and to work for justice in the culture around us. How can you promote justice in the setting in which God has called you to live and to serve? Do justice, love kindness. The term that Micah uses is the term chesed, the merciful, undeserved grace that the Lord displays to his people. Just as justice is God's character, chesed is God's love for his people in action. Micah goes on, as we saw in the next chapter, to describe that mercy of God, forgiving our sins, casting them into the depths of the sea. And if you want to know what that mercy looks like, the Apostle John tells you in that little book, five chapters long, First John. In the first chapter of that book, he tells you that he's writing about the word of life, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've heard with our ears, which our hands have handled. John knows that God's mercy has a shape, and that's the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, the justice and the mercy of God intersect. As you understand the depth of your sin, the mercy of God in Christ then it gets a little bit easier to treat with mercy and kindness the difficult person who works next to you, the annoying student, the arbitrary supervisor. The better you understand who your God is, the more you can walk humbly before Him. You have to know your God. You have to live in fellowship with Him. The better you grasp His infinite power, His gracious love, His righteous judgments, the more your response is going to be humility. Don't be so busy serving, even serving in a good cause that you fail to take time to reflect, to meditate, to simply be in awe of your God. And what Micah is calling you to do is to walk your daily life with God. Your relationship with Him is not just a matter of sacrifices or ceremonies, as Old Testament Israel began to think. Sacrifices were important in the Old Testament. Reverence and worship is crucial as we worship God today. But our walk with Him is more than just our formal worship. Walk your daily life in His presence. I confess that when I look for a theologian or preacher who articulates a world, a biblical world and life view, the first name that jumps to my mind is not Charles Spurgeon. It was interesting in reading Charles Spurgeon as he preached on this passage in 1880. And I've got a a quote from him on the insert in your bulletin. Spurgeon recognizes profoundly what it means to walk with your God. It's every moment of every day lived in relationship to God. It's a walk that you can only make as you first of all come to know God in the person of His Son and entrust yourself to Him as your Savior. Walking humbly with your God. Walking with God takes you all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where the Creator of the heavens and the earth came down in the cool of the evening and walked with Adam and Eve until that fellowship was shattered by their sin and rebellion. Because the Son of God entered this world, because he offered his life in your place, because he walked the path to the cross, you can have the confidence that in the new heavens and the new earth, you're going to have that kind of walk, that kind of fellowship with God. God wipes away tears. God is with man. And because God's grace has touched your life in Jesus Christ, even in the broken world in which you live today, you can truly do justice. You can love kindness. And you can walk humbly with your God. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you that you are God. Give us the grace to understand your majesty and awe. And give us, we pray, the thankfulness that comes from seeing your Son as our Savior. And lead us this day, this week, the rest of our days, to walk humbly before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise to the Lord the Almighty. Let's stand to sing. of God go with His blessing to serve Him. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.